Hey, Peter. Welcome to V'ger, please. Hateful Voyage of the Delta Quadrant, the ship of podcast hatred that you've embarked upon with me here on this grand internet of ours. How you doing today, man? I'm in the middle of this uh, move into the new house, and it is brutal, and I am happy to be in my basement talking about Star Trek instead of putting stuff in boxes and moving. I'm glad I could give you this respite. I'm Joseph, by the way, and and uh, by the way, Peter, just so that the entire internet can know this, if my D&D game does not happen on Saturday, I will be up there to help you move. <laughs> you know, I understand. I get it. This is like the least favorite day of every person who's ever been alive. The day they have to move to another place. It's the chore no person wants to do. So I want to be hell. there for you. It's my hell. If I, if I was in the holodeck and there was a malfunction, it would be a simulation of me having to move holographic boxes into a new holographic house over and over. That, hmm. The holodeck has a torture device. I think we've seen pretty heavily unintentionally when they're, you know, trying to fish out information on crew, you know, alien influencer fantasy, whatever. But I think the holodeck has an actual prison, like Wednesdays are breaking bricks and Thursdays are pushing a like you could wrap up all the Greek tragedy hellscapes in there, you know, pushing a stone up a hill forever. Oh, God, there's really an untapped potential in making a holodeck, a chamber of nightmares from which you never wake. That is some fucking deep ass shit we have never considered. It is the ultimate torture device. I think realistically, the holodeck can never become a real tool because that is exactly what will happen. And on top of dudes fucking hologram girls and spooging on the floor to be mopped up by the next guy. I think uh, you really have a terrible Pandora's box of torture and maleficence. I, I honestly don't think we would get there because of the first thing you mentioned. If holodecks were real, everyone would be well, not everyone, every man would be so busy fucking the holographic women of their most chaotic nightmares slash fantasies that uh, nothing would get done. The wives would find you and they would, while the doors are locked, <laughs> reprogram it. One second you're, you're banging, uh, you know, holographic Carmen Electra and the next you're suddenly Ugh. crucified. You just dated yourself with Carmen Electra, my friend. Well, I got a Carmen Electra poster. I, I like Carmen Electra. We dated ourselves with a lot of shit up to this point. We dated ourselves with Voyager, man. Look what we're doing. Although, I guess if I'm going to name my 90s guilty pleasure crush, it's definitely going to be Gwen Stefani, though. So, there you go. Now you know something about me. My wife's co-worker is, like, crazy obsessed with Gwen Stefani. And the next time we're all together, let her regale you with tales of this lady. (laughs) I cannot wait for Case... Casey to tell me that. I could see it. I could see it happen. Speaking of seeing things, did you see season two, episode 14, Alliances? I did, Peter. I did. Um, Overall, I'm going to say I liked this episode. I will say, however, that uh, I would have liked it if maybe this were a multi-parter or something, because this felt like it addressed all of my... desires and concerns and wishes about there being more continuity in Voyager and more consistent application of a persistent universe in Voyager, essentially all at once. 
at the same fucking time in 44 minutes. And it was a little fucking crazy. And it doesn't feel like anything had enough time to breathe. But overall, I, I kind of liked it. What'd you think of it? I had to go through and uh, reread my notes on this one because on the car ride home from work, I was listening to the today's podcast you put out, New Jack Neelix, and I can't get New Jack Neelix out of my head. <laughs> How can you? His Actually, presence. New Jack Neelix dominated the conversation I had with Stevie as we watched it, to be honest. No, I, I like this. I think this was Jerry Taylor who wrote it. And yeah, I don't know how they covered so much plot and so much story in only one episode. I, it was a, it was a really well put together episode. And I agree with what you're saying that it would have been better to probably split this up and fully explore some of the concepts that they cover, but I'll take the quality where I can get it. So the episode starts off uh, with Voyager in the middle of a run and gun firefight with two K's on attack ships. I think, doesn't Voyager actually blow one of them up? Yeah, so uh, overall, I want to point out, shout out to the SFX crew that did a lot of new shots for this episode. There was uh, the running running gun space battle. We got some kind of unique shots of Voyager in space throughout the episode. And, Spoiler uh, at the end that I don't want to get into right now, I thought looked really good. Um, that final attack sequence was uh, pretty impressive. It was. And to start, Voyager is indeed in a running gun. There's definitely an explosion. I don't know if it destroyed one of the ships or not, but uh, clearly there's a phaser exchange happening with Voyager, and we are starting in the middle of the conflict here. And ultimately, Voyager manages to essentially fend the Kazon off at the exact moment in which all of its systems fail. So it's like a happy fucking accident for them. Because if the battle had continued on any further, it sounds like Voyager would be pretty much completely fucked. Because they're going through the laundry list of damage and pretty much everything shut down. Propulsion. All the weapons are offline. Main Shields deflector. are fucked. Yeah, like they can't even uh, get the main deflector working to be able to go at impulse. Like... Everything is completely shit right now. And they've got the sick bay filled with people with superficial burns and people are all fucked up and everyone's hurt. And uh, unfortunately, there's actually one guy as they go through the chaos of this battle that is really fucked up. It's a guy in engineering. It's clear he's a Maquis crew member by the fact that Belana seems to know him personally. We, we immediately, I mean, they don't spend any time trying to establish what's going on other than the Kazon are fucking with them. There's a fight and shit's fucked up on the ship. People are hurt and this guy ultimately is dead. That's the opening part of the, the episode. I want to talk about the Kazon as we've come to know them so far. What was the episode with... Uh with Nox. That was uh, not maneuvers. That was initiations. You mean Nog? Yeah. Yeah. Initiations. So this was our, really our first stepping stone to the Kmart Klingons becoming something more and actually yeah, we had backstory. We got backstory in that episode. We got backstory and a big part of that episode, I thought kind of focused on the fact that running away from a battle or, you know, 
don't want to say cowardly. Anything other than balls to the wall 100% is frowned on. And I don't know if that's frowned on and just the dirty dreadlock tie-dye white trash sect of the Kazon, or if that's like all Kazon are like this ride or die. And if you retreat, you're a pussy and you're going to be ostracized. But that one ship leaving when Voyager was on the ropes seemed to kind of fly in the face of that. Uh, but I get why they did it. They they had to really just paint a really desperate picture for Voyager. I see what you're saying. Like, it was a little weird how they magically just so happened to stop attacking right as Voyager sort of spent itself. Something a little bit better constructed that demonstrated how it is that Voyager fought them off but was still fucked up would have felt a little better there. I definitely came away with that feeling. I could have gone for them actually blowing both the ships up and seeing it take an emotional impact on Janeway. Like there's the Voyager crew specifically seems so pacifistic at all costs that I, I would like to see that when they do have to engage people to the point that ships are blowing up and, and people are dying that like it torments Janeway. And maybe that I think would make me more accepting of her absolute pacifism as at having a real deep toll on her soul when she does have to go all the way. I completely agree. And it also would double down on this consistent theme that Voyager is a force in the Delta Quadrant all by itself. If it, if it, we just saw more of its power and how it was able to maybe like blow the shit out of some of these little uh, Kazon Raiders uh, when they're confronted, we've never seen Voyager really demonstrate its power on screen in a way that backs up the idea that people care what it's doing. It seems to always be par for the course for what's around it, or maybe even outclassed a little bit. Yes. I would have preferred if this was them blowing these guys up after a tough fight, destroying both the ships, and not only taking a toll on the ship, but taking a toll on them mentally as well as like they're tired of this shit. They're tired of having to engage in violence. This is a very non-Federation thing to do. But that's this is more of a nitpicky thing. I will say that overall I like that they're trying to demonstrate some level of urgency, that they're they're in hostile territory with very few friends, and they're suffering the consistent wounds of having to deal with these uh Kazon Raiders. Like I like that that's the setup for this episode. So let's talk about the guy who dies. This is uh oh Crewman Kurt Bandera, who was in fact Maki. And he had the misfortune of being down in engineering when what I can only assume to be one of the many computer consoles on Federation starships that are just filled with what I assume to be nitroglycerin. (laughs) Explosives and fucking like glass shards and shit. Goddamn grenades are in these things. Like, why the fuck are Federation starships designed with computers that can explode and kill you? Why the fuck aren't the explosive parts far away from where your people are working? I swear to God, we make the OSHA compliance joke a lot, but honest to God, it just seems like every computer console is the most dangerous shit to be around on one of these starships. Everyone fucking dies around these things. I get that replicator rations are limited. We've explored the topics many times. Skip a couple weeks of coffee and chicken sandwiches. Use the replicators to make like some plexiglass safety shields. And just put them on top of the computer console. So when there is a, a, a critical explosion, you've got a little something between your face, neck, and chest area and the hot burningness. But 
this guy goes down. He's on the ropes. Uh, Bolana site to site transports him on to uh, sick bay, and uh, unfortunately, not only is the doctor not able to prevent his death, the doctor is also apparently unwilling to reverse his death and Federation necromancy him back into the world of the living. Yeah, I mean, I try to overlook this inconsistency in the doctor's ability because they overrode it for of that course. episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so you don't want him to be able to reverse death because that that's uh pretty genre breaking. Durst decide who got his face cut off for the nookie. Uh, I believe that this marks the first crew death that we have had since the initial relocation disaster of caretaker. And we've talked a on couple screen. times on screen. On, Cause they say two others have died off screen during the yeah, fucking shit they've been dealing with. And I assume that one of them was, was it specific to the Kazon attacks? I mean, this is what Chakotay says. So I'm just taking it from that dialogue. There were two others that died in previous attacks. Cause the background we get is that the Kazon have been on their case for the last two weeks. This is their fourth attack they've had to deal with. In those two weeks, and two other crew members have died, and this guy is the third. I kind of wish they would have used someone that they already established. Like, this Kurt Bandera gets a fair amount of discussion and screen time post, you know, post-death. Instead of making up a fresh guy, pull out Joe Carey, who, you know, they're going to circle back around to, or some of the other people that you've seen floating around, Howdy Doody, whoever. Man, if only we could have lost Howdy Doody. Man, that would have really come full circle. He could have just like his his shirt could have been torn showing his fabulous pecs <laughs> one last time, you know, like maybe his pants to sh- just to show that he really did all those squats that he was talking about. That really could have just closed the book on Howdy Doody. But but alas, we don't get that. No, nope. booby trap monitor killed this guy dead. And uh, Janeway goes to Chakotay and says, well, you know, while we're trying to get the ship up and running and this laundry list of shit to do, go ahead and arrange for the funeral services. And it's a pretty sour note in that memorial room. You got a lot of Maquis in there. Uh, and following the end of the funeral service, actually, no, doesn't Chakotay have the talk before that with her? Or- yeah. Okay. Yeah, Chakotay... I'm hot and cold on him in this episode. I liked two of the conversations he had with Janeway. I I thought his, the memorial service day was comically bad, but the first conversation that he has with Janeway is right after the attack as they're assessing the damage. And he says, listen, we are all kinds of fucked up. We are dealing with these K's on up our asshole every fucking day. They're just taking fucking residents in our rectum right there next to our ruby red sphincter they are right there we need to rethink the way we're doing things specifically we need to rethink maybe if this whole federation way of doing business is really the right thing to do which is kind of a radical thing considering that he has been singing from the songbook of of the federation way of doing business chapter and verse from the beginning, aside from some Seska related deviance, Chicote has been on the same page of the overall intention of this ship uh, proceeding in a Federation fashion from the start, even comically. So as we commented on, like, even if it didn't make any fucking sense, he's finally pushing the, I'm, I think maybe this is going to get us killed, Catherine. So maybe we should rethink a different way of doing this. 
I thought it was a bad sales pitch because he leads into the suggestion that they change things up with a, hey, maybe we should do things in the Maquis way. Like, what a fucking shitty, like, hey, let's be a terrorist for a little bit. Just be like, hey, look, we need to we need to start getting a little gorilla here. We need to think outside the box and we need to start, you know, creatively applying these rules. Not, hey, start acting like, you know, the fucking thing that got us into this predicament in the first place, which was the Maquis you had to come out to hunt down. But we did get a nice classic Chakotay shot because he, uh, he drops a hot take on her on his way out the door so she can't reply. And the ongoing joke we have with Chicote, of course, is that he likes to <laughs> he likes to deliver his best work while he's like standing in the threshold of a door. It's true. He does it in a turbo lift this time. The first conversation's a little a, a little weaker than the second. The second is where he actively challenges Janeway's perspective and says, We need to start making fucking deals with these Kazon and maybe in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable. Because that's the only way we are going to fucking survive. We need to be able to have some fucking friends out here. We don't have any. The time has come for us to consider other options. Uh, He's, I will say for a second though, that fucking memorial scene where they tell the story about this fucking guy who died (sighs) is so fucking bad. Can I recap it real quick? Oh, by all means, Please do. Chakotay jumps in and he's like, uh, yeah, I met him when we were both on a mining colony and some of the other guys decided they didn't like my humor. I've never seen any humor out of Chakotay at all. And I can imagine if you're wasting around in like the spice mines of Kessel or wherever the fuck he's stationed, it's probably pretty glower and, and, and grim down there. And people probably joke around. And I bet you he was just a fucking a dour little asshole who wouldn't laugh at anybody's joke. And probably at some point, someone's like, look, dude, you need to lighten the fuck up. And I bet you Chakotay just started a fucking fist fight over nothing. I have a feeling he's misrepresenting the story. And he's like, oh, and then uh, Bandera jumped in and we 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 fought these guys off. And Bandera's just a fucking lunatic who wanted to fight. And, and uh, he was a good guy. We'll miss him. <laughs> uh, it's the most it, – the way he delivers it is terrible. And the story itself is written by a fucking six-year-old – the whole idea that this guy was apparently just some maniac who wanted to fucking punch people. <laughs> it's dumb. It's it's poorly done. It's stupid. And then they followed up with actually a good scene where he's telling Janeway, because I guess we're we're forgetting a key part. Janeway gets confronted right after the memorial service by a, a Maki crew member who's like, Bitch, what the fuck is wrong with you? He calls her out in public, too. I mean, like, it's right after the service. He's like, uh, hey, Captain, I'm Timmy Nobody, and let me challenge your entire paradigm of uh, command leadership and decision making. Best fucking scene in the goddamn episode as far as I'm concerned. It was it was ballsy. I don't know about the actor they got playing him, but what they start doing is they kind of they, they wake up the Maquis unrest here. And you see the one guy serving as a point man and you see a couple other people floating in the background, kind of like nodding their head and feeling what this guy's putting down. And it's, hey, we're sick of getting our asses kicked. And basically they're the crude expression of the more civilized uh, angle that Chakotay takes. So Janeway puts on a, a real you know, grandstand moment of you know, mind your own fucking business and, and fall in line or there's going to be a problem and we're going to do things the right way and that's my way and, and end of story. So Chakotay goes for round two of trying to convince her on this deviation from standard operating procedure and the turbo lift. And she does the thing where she tells the turbo lift to stop 
and then she turns to face him and starts trying to like big dick him in the in the turbo lift and it ultimately comes down to you know you keep saying that there's a problem that we need to have a solution give me something give me a suggestion don't just tell me there's a problem give me give me some options here or shut the fuck up and that's where he rolls out the idea of going into this alliance thing which uh is a real curveball for her to hear is starfleet really so staunch on i i think my problem in this episode and it reflects across a lot of the Voyager that we've seen so far is what does prime directive say exactly? And to my knowledge, I don't think the prime directive has ever been codified into words for, uh, you know, fans to read at home. Has it? It has. It's been expressed in the show. I think adequately about non-interference with the natural course of civilizations. Uh, I think that, the problem with the prime directive is that it falls apart in the application of it to convenience for lack of a better term. So let's break this down because this is a Star Trek podcast and why the fuck not? There are countless TNG episodes where the Enterprise is dispatched to deal with a planet or civilization or colony or something where there are members of the Federation and some bad shit's happening. Like, oh, their star is going to eat them or they're going to have volcanoes are going to destroy the planet or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. We all remember these episodes. And it's not seen as somehow a breach of the Prime Directive to prevent volcanoes from destroying a planet that is a Federation colony or a Federation member world. Yet, if they were to encounter a similar situation with an unaffiliated species here in the Delta Quadrant, I guarantee you they'd bust that out as an explanation for why they shouldn't be able to get involved. Which which they do in the stupid uh, prototype, essentially, is, oh, we can't interfere yeah. Sometimes they'll use the excuse pre-warp civilization. Like that's a line drawn in the sand pretty frequently is, no, they're pre-warp, first contact, blah, blah, blah. We got to stay hands off. And later on, they'll, you know, I want to I follow this conversation a little further. Later on, upsetting the balance is wrong and we won't do it because of the prime directive. But upsetting the balance and doing, you know, creating an artificial piece. Well, I mean, you're still changing the ebb and flow of the environment around you, but now because it's a benevolent change, now we're willing to accept that for whatever reason. Like it's not really a cold clinical document. It's, I think it has like an intentional warmth to it maybe, but you know, she starts going on about, Oh, you know, we can't pose treaties with this and that. It's like, is Starfleet at its core really this staunch about it? Because you look at, and of course we joke about crazy admirals in Next Gen and uh, maybe in Deep Space Nine too. I don't know since I haven't really seen it. But man, the fucking admirals are thrown in behind one side or the other side nonstop. Like every time you encounter an admiral from, what was that shitty episode of uh, Next Gen where like the guy's like super old and then he's taken like the Benjamin Button serum so he becomes younger again so he can fight the his old terrorist uh, adversary or even an insurrection where you have yes uh, admiral dowerty yeah who throws in with the proto vidians you know if you're a captain and you are using your leadership as examples as to how to do your job every turn you have 
by Starfleet. It, they're, they're backing one side or the other. So Picard and Janeway aside, you know, who's out there exploring the galaxy that's really sticking to this thing as obsessively as she is? I think that there is a lack of canonical, singular consistency when it comes to the application of the Prime Directive across Bourbon Era Trek. I think that something that started as essentially non-interference with pre-warp civilizations has mutated into not getting yourself involved in shit that would otherwise happen if you didn't get involved, which I think takes it too far. Personally, I think that the Prime Directive needs to be more limitedly applied. I think, in fact, if you dial it all the way back to Janeway's choice at uh, at Caretaker, I think there's a debate as to if that was really a breach of the Prime Directive or not, given the meddled situation as to the factors involved. That all said, I think that they don't use a Prime Directive argument in this episode for why it is Janeway's hesitant. He's, she seems more hesitant from a perspective of, I don't want to fucking make deals with these Kazon monsters and put any of them in a position where they feel protected or empowered to be monsters to the people around them, which I get because they've had some real fucking negative uh, situations with them. But dialing it all the way back to this random fucking uh, Maquis guy who confronts her, which I don't want to undersell Hogan, who gets a lot of replay, by the way, this actor impressed the uh, the Voyager powers that be, and he shows up basically for the rest of the season. He says, fuck it. Give them what they're asking for. I want to get home safe. Give them transporters. Give them fucking replicators. I don't fucking care. And if this episode missed anything, it was for the potential that Janeway's losing the crew. Yes. They sort of tease it right there. They're like, Chakotay had a moment to say, hey, listen, Catherine, I know that you've got like a hundred or so ride or die Federation guys on the ship, but you've got another 40 or so Maquis guys who are not buying what you are selling. And we need to do something that either demonstrates your way is the right way or we got to change it up because I can't guarantee that this is going to hold together given the stress that we're under, which makes perfect sense given these guys aren't Starfleet. They don't have a loyalty to the, to the, to the uniform like the Federation people do. And I guess it goes back all the way to the space friendship is magic. Uh, end of season one, where Janeway's never taken the extra step to connect with these Maki crew members in a way where they would have extra respect for her. Absent all of that, you know, I think that uh, what Chakotay is bringing to the table here is actually undersold. He's being he's soft playing it uh, in the way that he's doing it. And it's still pretty brutal. Janeway should have looked Hogan in the eye and said, uh, you just bought yourself a one way ticket to two Vox boot camp, mister. <laughs> you two will climb up and down ladders, motherfucker. <laughs> Instead, it's uh, Janeway who goes to visit Neelix. I'm sorry, uh, Tuvok. She catches him off guard. And he rightly calls out quickly that she only comes to him when uh, she's got some real moral dilemmas. So he goes over to the replicator and surprisingly does not get her the Vulcan, the Vulcan mocha, choco, lotto, latte 
that Kim seems to have a taste for. He gets her some spiced tea. And they start hashing out and unpacking what's going on because between Hogan's confrontation uh, at the memorial and Chakotay kind of back and doubling down on this, hey, we need to deviate from Starfleet policy and start playing smart out here. I think she goes there looking for Tuvok to stand his ground on Starfleet and reinforce the the laurels that she's come to rest on, which makes me think back to uh, the Skevian episode. Tuvok's not this rock solid monolith, you know, against Tim Russ's uh, desires. Otherwise, Tuvok's got a track record of when push comes to shove, you know, he wants to get shit done and he'll set the rule book to the side. And he makes that clear where I would qualify the first 15 minutes of this episode of everyone, you know, gets real. It's not quite when getting real goes wrong, but everyone gets real with each other. Janeway basically tells the Maquis guy, fuck you. I would blow the ship up rather than give this uh, technology up. Chakotay says, fuck you. You need to start rethinking this because your ideals don't really cover this situation. And then Tuvok completes the getting real trifecta by saying, yeah, I understand that you don't think you don't want to believe Chicote is right. But, you know, he's probably right. And he actually quotes Star Trek fucking six, the best goddamn Star Trek movie there is to prove his point that, hey, listen, Federation by the same logic you're using, should never have made a deal with the Klingons. The Kittermer Accords should never have happened, but they did. And they happened because people saw an opportunity to make the galaxy around them better. And even as Janeway's like, it would only be temporary, really, what would we do? Then he's like, yeah, maybe there would be just temporary peace in this part of the quadrant. But you know what? That's better than none. That beats the fucking alternative. And also, we won't die. So I think everyone wins here if we make this happen. It's a very real politic answer out of Tuvok, which I appreciated. Yeah, yeah, name drops Spock in the middle of it too. And that actually gives us back-to-back episodes because prototype the last episode, you know, they talk specifically about data and that. So I thought that was cool that they're kind of giving shout-outs to the previous Star Treks out there. But this is what it finally takes for... Janeway to change her song a little bit. So she does a rare thing and she gets all the senior bridge crew around the conference table and she starts to outline, you know, they're going to start scouting and evaluating if this alliance thing might be feasible and continuing the real talk train, little Ensign Harry Kim opens his mouth and openly defies Janeway uh, to a point where I was like, oh, damn, like had Janeway turned to him and just backhanded him in the mouth, it would not have seemed unreasonable for the shit he laid down. Janeway uh, definitely applies some command authority in this episode. This is a lot of Janeway telling people say hello to the five fingers to the face. She slaps that Maki guy upside the head to say, fuck you. I don't care that you want to appease my enemy. I'd rather blow the ship up and literally kill you than allow you to have your way. And then Harry Kim's like, Captain, are you for real? And she says, yes, bitch, I am for real. I am about to do this shit. And I don't want you to be talking out of turn again because this is not a discussion. I'm telling you what's going to fucking happen. I loved Janeway this episode just being like, I'm going to own every decision I'm making here. 
I was good. It was very I'm the fucking captain shit. I like that. So yeah, somehow Kim doesn't get choke slam like he should have, and they start bantering around. And you've got a little bit of pushback from the Starfleet about whether or not this is a good call. But other people like uh, Paris uh, get on board with it quickly. And to Chakotay's chagrin, uh, people take it to the next step. And they say, well, if we're going to talk about entertaining an alliance <laughs> with the Kazon, hey, how about Seska? Oh, well, the, what's a great part is, is that Harry Kim suggests it sarcastically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And then fucking Balan is like, yeah, no, no, let's do that. Let's uh, let's get in touch with Seska. That's a great plan. Like, this is not a actual serious suggestion at first. It's Harry Kim being a shitty asshole, and then and then Balan is like, no, that's actually a good idea. Let's contact the person that has attempted to murder fuck all of us like three times, and, and see if she wants to fucking deal. That's a great idea. Ten out of ten, Harry Kim. Great job great ensign let's do that which was not the intention and yeah chakotay's like whoa 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 i wanted to do this up to the point where you're involving my crazy ex-girlfriend but now i don't know if i like this plan and i love that janeway's like fuck you i mean there's a lot of like interpersonal trauma in this episode where janeway's like well in for a penny in for a pound commander we're fucking doing this we're doing this and that means making deals with people that you might have put your dick in this episode should have been called by jerry taylor the slipperiest slope i thought that janeway got on board with the seska idea a little too quickly like there's your enemies and then there's like your blood enemies and seska is certainly the wildest of wild cards. I don't think there's any way realistically that they should have, anybody in that room should have entertained the thought of going back to the obsidian order, super spy who has jail fucked them on several occasions, but that's, that's what happens luckily for us. Cause it means she's going to get included in this episode. I don't want to, I don't want to shit talk it too much because she got included because of that, mm -hmm. but you are dead on 100% correct in pointing out that under no circumstances should anyone in this room thought that that was a good idea. Everybody else, all of the other Kazon, you can either, you never ran into them or you had a misunderstanding or you really don't know them. Seska's the one motherfucker in this goddamn quadrant who has legitimately knows you and has tried to fucking murder you. Effectively. Yeah. Why the fuck would you be like, yeah, let's go make a deal with her. Like at this point, that's the one person you don't want to make a deal with. It's like Saw. You know, you have the option of deal with Seska or jump into the giant pit of used hypodermic needles. You better be taking that needle jump because Seska will 100 uh, percent. So they decide they're going to do that. But there is a second option on the table because you got Neelix floating in there. And Neelix knows a guy who has inroads with his Maj. And might serve as a viable candidate to test this alliance uh, prospect out with. So Janeway decides that she's going to pursue both leads. They're going to reach out to First Maj Kulla and, you know, really Seska. And she's also going to, <laughs> because these shuttle adventures always work out so well, uh, send Neelix Sands his new Jack coat out to buttfuck nowhere to go try and play Let's Make a Deal. Let's talk about Neelix first, because 
if there was ever a need for new Jack Neelix, it was as he went to this Kazon alien titty bar. Yes. To have this conversation. Nice titty bar, too. It is. There it the the exotic alien dancer at this alien titty bar is a top notch extra. She's uh, a Davo girl. Oh, is she? Is she from DS9? Yep. Oh, that makes perfect sense. And they they set up a nice sort of you know CD strip club vibe to this place. And this needed to be where New Jack Neelix showed up in his black pimp coat and demonstrated his authority. He needed to roll in with a, a beret, a fucking uh, yeah, ASP baton. He needed to come to the nines. Instead, though, it's Discount African King Neelix. It's Nibbly Neelix, Neelix, and it's not a good time. More to the point, let's talk about his wardrobe. What does he fuck wear into this, this bar? His compadge. Hey, fucking kidnap me and ransom me back off to my rich American friends while you cut my fingers off to to get more zeros onto the ransom amount com badge. Like, what in the fuck, Neelix? But uh, so he sits down and uh, finds his buddy who has his back to the stripper and he's instead playing with metal toothpicks in what we have find out to be a puzzle game. Uh, my so first he could fuck. So he could fuck the the stripper. To be clear, I mean his priorities are in the right place. I assume that there's no way to win that puzzle, and that stripper's like, "I'm tired of this, dude. Hey, you know what? Go uh, do this impossible fool's errand, and if you pull it off, then I'll give you the time of day. And really, I'm just tying you up indefinitely." But so he sits down and he starts uh, laying out to this guy. It's a real kind of like a hand solo moment. I thought where. Oh, hey, you know, he had sold uh, Captain Janeway that this dude owes him tons of favors. And really what you find out is that their last interaction seems to have been pretty sour. And they say, um, Neelix is like, oh, well, you know, I've got uh, some friends in high places. Now he's like, yeah, shut up, dude. You, you're uh, the house cat for Voyager. Everybody knows it. It's probably the only reason we let you in here and didn't just beat your ass and kill you uh, when you showed up on the planet. Fuck you. What Neelix gets instead are the door guards coming over, grabbing him by the shirt, dragging him off while his friend claims to not know who he is and uh, condemns him to whatever fate awaits. And they drag him down below to what were some very familiar caves. I believe this is the planet hell set, the the dirt caves with uh, the dirt floor caves with uh, some water effects going for a leak. It's the same place where the Vidians have ambushed Voyager a few times in a couple other They're classic the standard crafts. Star Trek caves. You know, we've seen these before. Even if you've never seen them before, you've seen them before. It's They're so. my new Cardassian hallway, I think. We, I don't think we're going to see Cardassian hallway again, so I'm going to rejoice every time we get to see these caves. They're the newest cast member as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and he gets jammed into a larger cave area where instead of it being uh, dinosaur eggs, there are a bunch of civilians with uh, some shit on their face. And they quickly warmly surround him and start tending to his wounds and explaining that they were what I thought they said were that they were traitors, like, uh, you know, merchants, traitors. But in fact, what he's saying is uh, trade, that's T-R-A-B-E. And it's going to become important later on. Yeah, it's it's interesting that they they uh, actually trusted the audience uh, to remember something from a prior episode, because if you remember the Trabe 
were only first mentioned in that first uh, initiations episode that you had previously mentioned with uh, Aaron Eisenberg playing uh, the young Kazon that the Trabe were the subjugator species of the Kazon before the Kazon rebelled. And then they, they kind of recount that a little bit later. I thought this was the coolest part of the episode because I seem to recall during initiations First of all, I don't remember them saying the word Trabe in relation to the Kazon homeworld. I figured that this was all just done and over and, and you know, just be, okay, the Kazon fought their way out of oppression and, and became this thing. So the rest of the episode forward for me, this whole plot thread became a real treat, and I think it paid off in a big way. Uh, but they surround them. Uh, again, I thought they were just Joe Blow species that the Kazon had also caught and, and were victimizing. And uh, they start warming Neelix up, talking about that one by one they've been picked off. They've got children in here and that they're not going to die. So, you know, if Neelix is going to be a man, that uh, they're, they're going to put the moves on these guards here soon and want to know if they can count on them. Neelix, while not New Jack Neelix, it's not typical Neelix. And you remember a big part of uh, Jatrell was exploring the fact that at his core, Neelix is a coward, that he only survived the massacre of his uh, homeworld because he refused to report for military service. Mm -hmm. And that's really the demon he's struggling at, is that he admits that when push comes to shove, he's a big pussy. Yet the Neelix we get here is all like, uh, yeah, sure, weird cave prisoners. I am going to be with you 100%, no doubts, and uh, we will do whatever it takes to get out of here. Which, given his situation, I guess it's not the worst break from character, but it was still a surprising move nonetheless since we've been paying attention. And this is why I didn't like Jatrell very much. I mean, I recall very distinctly how that episode fell apart, and it fell apart in because I felt like the Neelix needless, uh, I was a coward, and I feel like I have ownership over the fact that my planet got nuked. Nonsense was stupid. So I don't really mind them, in, you know, abandoning that so Neelix can have a sort of heroic sort of impulse. That said, as far as the prison break is concerned, uh, the world's kind of lowest rent prison break happens from those caverns. Literally a Kazon extra kicks a grenade and falls down. It's so obviously a grenade too. Like what? the guy's got this gun on everybody. He's pointing at like the women and children. The trade leader had said that, hey, by the way, before they captured us, we got a SOS signal off. So we think our dudes are going to come rescue us. Around the corner in the cave, there's a strobe light going. You just hear dudes like, oh, 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 zap, zap, zap. It's very clearly a jailbreak. Yeah, clearly dudes are coming and this guy's like, oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, someone just threw a grenade at my foot. Maybe if I just give it a, a ginger little, oh, God, where'd my foot go? I am now on the ground. Yeah, it's so dumb. It's funny. It's very Star Trek. Yes, like it's yes. it is only only the kind of fucking sequence that can happen in Berman era Trek. It's so dumb. It happens and it moves the plot forward. All the Trabe escape. What they should have done is thrown that fucking computer console from engineering in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's this? Oh, my God. There's shrapnel in your neck. You're dead. You could have kicked the enter button and blown the whole fucking cave up and killed everybody. Yeah. I swear to God, that's the most deadly weapon on Voyager. They, yes. Instead of photon torpedoes, they need to start shooting their goddamn computer consoles. <laughs> Throwing at them out the window. You could just mine the whole Delta Quadrant. 
Uh, with oh the, shit, this looks like a fucking terminal from Ash Stellar Cartography. That shit's lethal. Yeah. It'll blow up in your fucking face and you'll die of, of goddamn shrapnel to your eye. Quarantine the whole solar system. This is a no man's land. So predictably, they escape and that's all you hear from Neelix. Or I'm sorry, you think they escape and that's all you hear from Neelix. Meanwhile, Janeway's having the world's most awkward fucking confab with First Mage Kala and the Queen of Burn, Seska. They call her up on the Google Hangouts and they're like, oh, yeah, we totally want to meet from you. And from the beginning, it's like, oh, Jesus, we're going to live to regret this choice. These two are clearly up to something. They come to the Voyager to have the conversation. After they pick the coordinates, too, don't they? Yeah, they do. So, um, you know, you're expecting maybe there's going to be an ambush, but no, they just show up and they have the talk. That's all there is to it. There's a deal laid out by Janeway to say, we'll, we'll ally with the Nistrum, we'll come to the aid of any Nistrum ship and any Nistrum outpost that says they need aid, uh, we'll supply emergency rations, medicine, and clothing. However, we will not give you weapons, we will not give you technology. And Kala is like, yes, all of that is a great plan. Love it. Totally okay. But I want to exchange crew too. So he tries to include in the package, I'm going to give you some Kazon. You got to give me some Federation dudes. And the idea is almost like it's a a Game of Thrones-esque sort of like hostage ward situation. There's so many fucked up parts to this deal but let's start with the straw that breaks the the donkey's back which is this crew swap voyager's point voyager's goal is to get the fuck out of the delta quadrant that means picking a direction and sticking with it if you're swapping crew off that means there's going to be kazan going back to earth and there's going to be starfleet that's stuck back in the delta quadrant like at its core it's such a stupid idea you're completely right it's a stupid idea I, I guess I'm maybe even giving Copla too much credit to suggest that it was on the basis of doing it as a insurance policy. I assume it was a spying plan, like, oh, I'll put my guys on Voyager and then they'll 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 hijack everything. Seska flips out when he starts talking about this thing, and rightfully so, because this entire plan up to this point, like, hey, uh Ses- hey, Nistrum under Seska's vicious control, you have ambushed us with the most ruthless and effective attacks on us that we barely skated by with our fucking you know our shit intact astronomical odds against us why don't we give you the ability to summon us into any cockamamie situation any terrible trap you could possibly dream up under the the guise of this alliance like what a sweet deal for the nistrum and and this last minute introduction of like completely unreasonable crew swap I think Seska really jumps on embodying what a colossal fuck up this is. No, you're completely right. I, I kind of, ex- this was so ham handedly done. I expected there to be some sort of second level intrigue going on, but it, it is what it, it says on the tin. Janeway offers the Nistrum a sweetheart deal. Uh, Kula fucks it up because he's too sexist to take his marching orders from a woman. Literally what he says. Yes. And lashes back both at Seska and Janeway as a consequence. And then Janeway says, you know what? You're an asshole, so fuck you. Not making a deal with you. And kicks them off her ship. 
And that's actually what happened. It's kind of uh, cartoonish almost in how it gets uh, played out. All that was missing was uh, Seska like waiting for Kala to like look the other way and then looking at Jamie like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for him. Like apologizing on his behalf. I'm like, I'm, having a- <laughs> I'm sorry. He's really stupid. Um now might be the time to say, like, I've made a terrible mistake. And if I could just come back, like, we don't really need the rest of the Kazon. All you need is me on your side. And and I will give you the alliance support you need that these fucking clowns think they have for you. But sadly, they both get drummed off the ship. And now uh, the only option on the table is plan Neelix. So they fly off to the rendezvous point where their shuttle is supposed to be meeting them. And surprise, surprise, uh, there ain't no shuttle. Yeah, and uh, as you expect, uh, Voyager then puts itself directly in danger and and is going to go directly after Neelix to retrieve him. But what should happen but a giant convoy of uh, Kazon ships are bearing down on Voyager. They get ready for a fight only to be hailed by said ships which are revealed to be actually Trabe ships. And this is a convoy of the refugee Trabe race. They convey, of course, that the reason why they appear to be Kazon ships is that all Kazon ships are, in fact, Trabe ships that they have confiscated slash stolen slash seized. And there is another option on the table. And, uh, Neelix brings the Trabe governor onto Voyager and we get a little bit more interesting backstory over dinner. This, this Trabe leader, uh, I think his name, Mavis. Mavis. Okay. I couldn't remember. Uh, Mavis relays during dinner, uh, some, uh, I guess some verification of the backstory that, uh, Aaron Eisenberg's, uh, uh, Kazon character from Initiations had revealed uh, many weeks ago, which is uh, the Kazon were a subjugated race of the Trabe. They were kind of a, a underclass used for fighting. And ultimately, they figured out that the Trabe were oppressing them and decided to overthrow them. And then one day, as this governor relates, as when he was a kid, these guys took over and kicked them off the planet and have persecuted and scattered them and done everything in their power to prevent the trade from coalescing their uh, race back into one place ever since. And there's a lot of ownership in this conversation. And it's very genuine. The actor they got to play this guy was, was good enough that he conveyed a, a sense of, of realistic yeah we fucked up but i you know everyone who's responsible for this is either an old man or dead and the leadership and population of the trade people are either were kids when this happened or completely innocent because they're born after so they don't deserve to suffer anymore we need to be allowed to to live you know like people and uh you know the the climax that happens in this episode, I think, was pretty well obfuscated through this scene and, and subsequent adventures. He also lays down this all the, the revolts took place 30 years ago. Um, 
so this this is why I really like this episode was this development specifically. Again, <clears throat> I had written the Kazan origin, you know, suppressive race story off the fact that, and I was actually thinking about it in the car from home a couple days before I watched. It's like the Kazan just don't seem to have their shit together. And the idea that they have like this expansive fleet of starship that looks like it's you know, it's got to be hard to build a starship. You got to have docks. You got to have engineers, all that other stuff. Like, it seems so goofy that they've got this wealth of vessels and, and all this other stuff. Thinking that, okay, the Trabe are still out there. Maybe they're still producing. And the Kazon are just thieves and constantly replenishing stock from pillaged vessels. Uh, when Neelix came up and, and said, yeah, this is all their stuff, I was like, fucking awesome. We're, we're right back into this really juicy story. And yes, the the rest the resolution on this episode I did not see coming. This guy sells it hard. He really conveys some genuine emotion. He plays a uh, humanitarian cards perfectly, and there's still enough conflict in the rest of the episode moving forward that uh, they they like you said they obfuscate the true intentions of uh, what the trade leader that they're having dinner with uh, are going to be. So really cool. Um, after dinner, Janeway asks uh, the guy to bring some of his uh, injured children and, and crew over onto Voyager. The doctor is healing them up. She starts sharing resources. There's an inevitable coming to terms. Uh, Janeway has a scene briefly with, with senior staff to say, do I make a deal with these people? But she quickly comes to the determination that this is a way better option than dealing with the shifty – the uh, shifty – Kazon operator she has to deal with and decides she is going to make the offer to ally with the Trabe instead since they seem to be more self-aware and more aligned with Federation principles and in, in doing the right thing. And when Janeway makes the proposal, uh, the Trabe respond with saying, hey, why don't we try for the brass ring and try and pull together all of the Kazon and us and you, and maybe we can make a really big deal where we get to settle on a planet, you get to leave the sector unmolested, and you leave basically the Delta Quadrant better than you found it, which plays right into what Janeway has wanted to do to begin with. And as a consequence, she goes for the idea. And the next scene is basically cutting to... Uh, the Kazon Nistrum uh, getting the message from Voyager that the deal's been made. This is where I really start to have my problems with the prime directive usage. And, and it hones back into like meddling in the affairs of non-Federation aliens is bad. Uh, meddling to a drastic level is unthinkable unless, you know, you feel it's appeasing your morality in some way, then heavily tampering in the affairs of others is suddenly forgivable, if not encouraged. Um, Hold on. I just, I want to stop you there, Peter, because I don't think the words prime directive are used in this episode. And I don't think any of Janeway's hesitance is based on the prime directive. She says Federation principles. Now, yeah, that said, I still agree with you that, if this were a TNG episode and Picard were negotiating a settlement between two warring people in the Alpha Quadrant, that this would be totally fine for the Federation to be involved with. 
And so Janeway's hesitance is, seems almost out of place. Uh, but I guess she doesn't really have much hesitance when it comes to the idea of playing Peacemaker, where in fact, she, that's this is the first time where she seems pretty uh, enthusiastic to the idea where she can she can uh, get the Trabe and the Kazon on the same page, put some kind of peace on the table and make the place better. Like this is finally starting to cleave a little closer to what she wanted to do to begin with. Something that stands out in this episode are photography choices. They do a good job bringing people into the foreground with background action going on. And I think it's used to highlight some duplicitous shit that starts going on because we've got the C plot moving forward through the rest of the episode. Uh, you've got unhappy Maquis. There's another scene in here somewhere where uh, Hogan confronts Bellana and starts uh, complaining that, you know, they're not going directly to Seska. How could the talks have fallen apart? Bellana, you were friends with Seska. Maybe you should talk to her. And uh, Bellana plays the loyalty card and shuts these guys down and says, look, <laughs> what what I liked was uh, she's like, look, if you're not happy with the way that uh, Janeway's running the ship, I thought she was going to say basically, you know, take your opinion and shove it up your ass. She's just like, deal with it. I don't want to hear about it. And I was like, fair uh, reply to that. But they start showing in the background. Not only is it Hogan, there's another dude who they will identify as uh, Michael Jonas. I like this sudden influx of shifty looking monkey motherfuckers. Oh, yeah. And you see that this guy's got some uh, some agenda that's going to start rolling in the background, and it's ultimately going to culminate in this guy. Yet again, Voyager shit is not locked down. You got rogue elements on the ship. They start contacting people off ship, and, and this guy reaches out to Seska directly and says, hey, look, uh, we want to deal with you. And uh, instead, she's, this guy's dealing with a Kazon lackey middleman. And the guy's like, well, uh, I'll run it by her and see if she wants to talk to you. And he throws out some info uh, later on saying, hey, look, Voyager's dealing with these trade guys who you might have heard of. And uh, that really, I think, undermines where Janeway is trying to go because the talks are going to happen. And Janeway does get in bed with this trade leader. And they do start putting out invitations to all the first Majas of the uh, Kazon. And they decide that they're going to have their own Kittimer Peace Accords and scout some neutral territory and get everybody around a table and try and hash this thing out. And now Seska and uh, Kulla know in advance. And uh, Seska's got to start doing some manipulation to get Kulla's head out of his ass and, and consider going into this thing, if for no reason other than to save face. That all goes down and everyone essentially shows up aside from Bob from 89 Batman to the uh, Kazon Summit. I assume you noticed that Bob from 89 Batman was not there. I took it as a personal offense. <laughs> I, I And it should be. They reached through time to 2018, knew what was going to offend you to ensure your favorite Kazon was not present. Your number one guy. Yeah, you will. it was bullshit. Was Fuck this episode. I hated it. They set up the Camp David and there's a tease that uh, uh, Snarf Snarf finds out that someone's planning to terrorist attack the Camp David. 
And everyone assumes some Kazon sect is going to try and leave early right before the terrorist attack happens. And so everyone pledges, well, we're going to do this anyway, but if anyone tries to leave, we know that's the fucking guy. And sure enough, they they have the the meetup happen. All the Kazon uh, first Majas are introduced and shown in and they start having this tense little talk that's actually pretty interesting about Voyager and who they're allied with and trying to make peace and their resentment towards the Trabe doesn't get very far, though, because what happens is that Trabe leader says to Janeway, hey, can we talk about what's been going on here? Maybe let's have a little sidebar and come back with some 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 fresh ideas to to dispel your uh, your hesitance to deal. And Janeway looks about ready to to do that when suddenly the table starts to shake. I think she actually showed hesitation before because you get a quick fake out. Um, Janeway lays down what the initial offer is going to be. Culla gets up and says, you know, I'm not going to listen to this, goes to leave. Tubak gets his hand on his phaser and they, they fake you out because what Cull is doing is going and getting some uh, ecto-cooler Gatorade or uh, Kool-Aid off the table behind him and starts pouring drinks for people. Um, and it's when uh, the trade leader is like, hey, let's let's let you know exactly what you said. Let's let's start talking about this. I see a very queer look in Janeway's eye and uh, Tuvok, and they're looking at each other like, wait a minute, it can't be this guy who was who was scouting sabotage on this. And like you said, the table starts to vibrate. They're like, what the fuck is this? And Janeway's like, oh shit, everybody get down. It's a double cross. And what we get treated to is some pretty cool CG of one of these Trabe Kazon ships dropping down into the atmosphere like an attack gunship and starts blasting into the window of this conference hall, like uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, when you had uh, Khan shooting up the uh, Admiralty meeting, and uh, he starts doing some real damage. Janeway calls up to Voyager and says, uh, we're under attack, and Voyager lets off like four photon torpedoes down to the surface of the planet to start blasting this gunship. Uh, I think it's the it's the first confirmed release of photon torpedoes we've seen on screen so far in Voyager. It's a four shot. It's uh it's a rapid fire out of two uh torpedo uh tubes and it it lays a whole broadside into this trade vessel as it attempts to do this. And this is all new CG. Everything in this uh, whole sequence is is fresh, and it's uh, it's actually real cool. And the whole idea of this this trade vessel rolling down and attempting to do a, a as you said, into darkness style wipeout of the meeting is pretty fucking baller. I liked it. It was awesome. I was surprised, you know, since you mentioned the the torpedoes specifically. Yeah, remember, photon torpedoes are a very limited commodity for Voyager. They are extremely judicious about even discussing the use of it. I think they, eh, whatever, I don't want to get too deep into if space baby ate a couple of them, but I was surprised to see that the, the trade vessel took four of them. And despite, you know, uh, Voyager's lauded, uh, weapon systems, it didn't actually just blow that fucking thing up right then and there. 
Yeah, I was expecting it to blow up after it got hit by four photon torpedoes in a row. But instead, it just kind of has its shields fail and then bounces. I guess they were trying to to preserve Voyager's zero body count. Sure. So there Janeway is now. Her pants are down. Her dick is in her hand. And she's like, what the fuck? Everybody just got hoodwinked. Kulla instantly seizes the opportunity to start finger pointing and saying, Sea Federation, this is why we can't trust you. You side with these crazy uh, monsters. You try to draw us into a trap. You know, obviously not acknowledging the fact that she very clearly got used and tried to thwart the entire situation by yelling people to get down. But she calls up to Voyager. They all beam up. They fly out of there before the Kazon have a chance to unite against them. And in what I would say is the most shocking moment for her since they encountered the horror of the Vidians, she's like, you just used us, you used my principles, you used our desire to peace to attempt to perpetrate, you know, blatant murder. And I think that uh, Mabus holds up when he gets confronted in the transporter room. Because he doesn't go like full mustache twirling. He's not like, oh, you fool or any of the stuff like that. But it's like, you don't know these people the way I do. You don't know what they're responsible for. Uh, I could have just saved you and I so much heartache. And he keeps trying to work this alliance, even though it's clear that like Janeway has gone into full lockdown and her mind has been made that uh, this motherfucker needs to get off the ship ASAP. And basically the thing that they've been trying to avoid all episode, which is by allying with someone, she will unite everybody against them uh, has in fact happened through this uh, abuse of a, a peace plea. You're absolutely right. It's interesting that she, this, they don't let off the gas when it comes to the unapologetic. Yeah, I fucking did it because the Kazon are monsters and this was our one opportunity to make sure that we could uh, get rid of them. I mean, it, it belays the idea that Janeway, I will say the episode does this well. The episode is designed to reinforce that Janeway was right all along, right? That it, this is not worth getting involved with as much as it sounds like a good idea to make some friends and play a little loose and do things the Maquis way. Uh, you stip, even dipping your toe in these these people's affairs is a bad fucking plan because they can't be trusted. Because the and Delta Quadrant is crazy town. This <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's the fucking West Baltimore of the fucking galaxy. It is fucking <laughs> lawless. It is awful. And uh, Voyager is quite frankly better off playing by out of their playbook than attempting to. Uh, degrade themselves and deal with people like the Kazon or the Trib. And it's ultimately, she gives a little Picard style speech there at the end that says, we're going to continue to do things our way and literally fuck all of you who thought this was a good idea. I thought her ending speech was terrible. I wish they would have left it off the episode. I think they had a real strong finish to the up until she got behind that chair and started waving her hand around. And I was just like, just shut the fuck up, man. You've got no credibility on on ethics, prime directive, any of the stuff that you're trying to convey right now. You know, if your conviction's so strong, you should have just stuck to your guns and not gone into any of this. It felt like it felt like a bunch of little kids 
who wanted to steal candy. And one of the people's like, well, I don't know, we might get caught. And they get peer pressured into it. And at the end, that person trying to get up in front of it's like, I told you all this was a terrible idea. And we should like, just, just keep it to yourself. I completely agree that uh, the ending speech was weak and ultimately diminished the episode a little bit. I think that they had a solid ending with Janeway maybe even silently contemplating this is going to be a complicated journey home. And while this didn't work out, that she was still continued to be open to alternative decision making rather than making it so pat. I did not like it. They did a good job of framing why Federation ideals had purchase in the Delta Quadrant by showing these people can't be trusted. I liked that, but they shouldn't have doubled or tripled down on it with Janeway saying, gosh, I was right all along. I'm the fucking best. We we had a fan who recently compared Janeway to the Kane Mutiny, as essentially a Kane Mutiny figure of Star Trek. And uh, this episode actually awkwardly paid off on a lot of that idea, only at the va- last second, basically, to lose its balls and say, Catherine Janeway is perfect and correct all along, which I wish it hadn't done. But that said, it did it. And overall, I actually liked this outing. Way too overstuffed. Way too much shit going on for 44 minutes. It's amazing but, they fit it all in. I, I can't, I'm looking at my notes. I'm looking at everything we talked about. I felt like this was a movie worth of material and they somehow jammed it into 44 minutes and it worked really well. The pacing was great. Solid acting all over the place. I really liked Mabus. The, the out of left field return of the origin story of the Kazon and fleshing these guys out. The twist ending that I think really held up until the last minute. It's like, as they're walking into the the thing and they're still trying to figure out who was scouting and you know who's going to be the people to try and double cross everybody, I was like, man, I really hope it's the Trebe. I hope the Trebe are really shitty people after all. <laughs> this is going to be a big fucking disaster. And it was, and I loved it. I got to say that uh, there's a lot to like in this episode and I'm going to overlook its its shortcomings and embrace its its successes. Overall, it's a, a solid B episode, good for Voyager for sure. And provided a lot of continuity and uh, some of the stuff we've been essentially searching for. So I'll, I'll give it a pass on some of the stuff I didn't like. I, I, I liked it. I, I liked it a lot. I think it's uh, excellent Star Trek. And it also, you know, again, we talk about meta plots. Starts open up a lot of threads. You got Michael Jonas and some of the other uh, dissenters on the ship opening communications with Seska. You know, you're going to be getting her back. Um this plays into a larger picture very well, and I'm very excited to see where it goes. All right, man. I uh, I think we've summed this one up nicely. Now, before you you describe the next episode, I want everyone to take a second and and take a deep breath because I'm going to give you some some knowledge. We all know what the next episode is. It's supposed to be. Probably the most famously bad episode of Voyager ever. That is not the episode that Peter's going to read off. Uh, The reason why is that we have some big plans for how we're going to handle this very special entry of Voyager. So the podcast will continue. It's going to roll into the episode that follows 
the the very special edition that we all know and love and and will not be mentioned. And you'll hear more about what we are going to do in regards to that particular entry uh, later on. But for now, Peter, why don't you tell us what's next? Skipping over season two, episode 15 to season two, episode 16, Meld. You got Tuvok on the other side of a uh, sick bay force field with Janeway looking at him and Tuvok seems like he's trying to mind meld with a, uh, a force field. Tuvok investigates the murder of a Voyager engineer, former Maquis and, and Beta Zed. Lange Sunder confesses to the murder and offers no explanation. I thought we were out of Beta Zeds. Oh, no. Dude, you're going to love this one. I mean, I honestly, this is one I've been meaning to, I was meaning to rewatch before we decided to do this because I remember thinking this was fucking metal when I watched it the first time. I'm really looking forward to seeing this one a second time. No, if you're excited, I'm going to get excited. Uh, In closing on alliances, we actually have, I think, one of the best fits for a rule of acquisition. And this is right out of the Trabe uh, playbook here. Rule of acquisition number 76. Every once in a while, declare peace. Confuses the hell out of your enemies. Yeah. (laughs) If it wasn't for Janeway having morals, it would have worked too. Oh, yeah. Uh, On that note... This has been V'ger, please. A hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. We thank all of our fans that have joined us on this voyage. Uh, a special shout out to Ian and Sarah, as always, for the lovely theme song you've already heard and may be hearing now already. And also, thank you to all of our fans who have recently shared, reviewed, liked, and download the podcast. We've definitely been seeing our numbers increase, and we love that. And don't hesitate to email us at vgerplays at gmail.com. Don't hesitate to participate on our Facebook group. We can be found on Facebook by just typing in vgerplays. There's the vgerplays trauma support group, and we are also on Twitter at vgerplays. Reach us any way you like. We would love to hear from you. It invigorates us. I am Joseph. I'm Peter. And we will see you next week with Melt. Peace!